And I think we're having a good time this morning. Um, you know, you need to know, this, this talk that I'm about to give, this does not start off as, as a talk. In other words, I didn't look at my calendar a week ago and think, oh, we, we got a men's breakfast coming up. I got I to figure out something to talk about. Rather, this talk has been in the works for years and years and years. Um, it is a culmination of an exploration of what it means to, to be a man, um, to be a good man, to be a real man, to be a man's man, or most importantly, to be God's man. Um, and so this is a journey that I have been on for really a really long time, and it's a real privilege to be able to share with you where I am in this process. Um, and I think you probably would, you'd, you would recognize or admit that this is an interesting time to be a man. Um, it can be a confusing time to be a man. We live in a culture that is increasingly anti-male. Um, there's a lot of confusion over masculinity. Um, and I think a lot of people, um, honestly, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but there's a movement that looks at masculinity as inferior to femininity. Um, that men were uh, kind of a mistake, but you know, women, they're going to correct that mistake. Um, and there's uh, other extremes as well that basically say, no, we're, we're all the same. Men, women, male, female, we're all the same. And if you say differently, well, then you're sexist, all right, or misogynistic. I mean, there's something wrong with you if you, if you see a difference in malehood or in being a female. Um, and clearly that is not the case. Actually, I heard a comedian recently. She uh, talked about women as the perfection of the species. And she said, yes, I believe that God created man first, but then recognized that it was a horrible mistake, all right, that he was going to rectify that, and that's why he made woman. Um, here's what I like to do. Anytime I'm doing a talk, I like to look, just do a Google search, okay? So I did a Google image search, and I just looked for, like, real man, manhood, masculinity, and these are, these, as you can imagine, these are kind of the pictures that showed up. A lot of lumberjacks, okay? Big men with chainsaws. You saw a lot of those pictures. We had... A lot of beards, okay? Some well-groomed men with beards. And this is the first superhero, Captain America. Batman didn't make the list. Superman didn't pop up for a while, but Captain America did. <laughs> Rambo, Sylvester Stallone does not look like this in a really long time. And then we had James Bond. And we have old school and we have new school, right? But James Bond popped up there pretty quickly. And also muscles, okay? You do a search for masculinity, you saw a lot of flexing, a lot of posing, a lot of big muscles. Um, also, there's some funny ones too, okay? I like some of these. Manliness level, Russian. I'm sure many of you guys woke up shaved this morning with an ax. And then Chuck Norris is all over the place. We'll come back to that one. When Chuck Norris attends a feminist rally, he comes back with his shirt ironed. Barbed wire, you mean dental floss. And then, this is not a beard, it is a passport to awesome. All right? So, a lot of stuff you're going to find. Um, so, as I said, I have been on a quest. I mean, for most of my life, you know, just growing up wondering, like, what does it look like to be a man? And, you know, I looked up to my dad, I looked to my grandfather, to teachers, to coaches that I had, and... Even at a young age, I was starting to piece together what I was trying to think, like, okay, this is the kind of man that, that I want to be one day, always observing. And also, I, I was really influenced by the movies that I saw when I was younger. Man, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo. As I got older, you know, it was Maximus, all right, in Gladiator, or John McClane in Die Hard, or William Wallace in Braveheart. 
You know, I'm always looking for these glimmers of what I would perceive as manliness. Um, now, it's interesting. Recently, the, uh, the American Psychological Association did a study, and this is what they determined. Uh, there's a, a New York Times article about it. It says, according to the American Psychological Association, traditional masculinity can hurt boys. And here's what they say. The APA has come up with 10 guidelines that posit that males who are socialized to conform to traditional masculine ideology are often negatively affected in terms of mental and physical health. Here are some of the things they point to as problematic from a traditional masculine model. Young boys, now listen to the list, are more likely to be prone to achievement, adventure, risk, violence, and the avoidance of the appearance of weakness. Okay, those are the negative side effects of growing up with a male model. Um, but I look at it, I think about it, but I, I don't see anything wrong with that list. I mean, I think those are the kind of like who boys are hardwired to be. It's created by God. And I really do believe, you know, boys will be boys. Now, I don't believe that's an excuse for, for bad behavior. I mean, I think you need to be held accountable. I mean, I'm not talking Lord of the Flies. All right, boys will be boys. They need to be held accountable to their behavior, but also it explains why, you know, a boy will just jump off the roof of his house, okay, or throw a rock at his best friend. Okay, boys will be boys. I think it's hardwired for boys to live in such a way. Um, and as I said before, I do think it's a confusing time. If you're thinking about what do I want to be as a man, what, is it, what does that look like? Now, here's the beautiful thing. As a follower of Christ, um, we have the ultimate example, the perfect example in Jesus Christ. I mean, you cannot do better than Jesus. Now, I recognize that you've, a lot of you have heard me talk about elements of what I'm going to share with you this morning before, but I'm putting it together in a new way that maybe you, you haven't heard. Um, but I look to Jesus as my model, as the ultimate model, and the Bible describes Jesus as the, the Lion of Judah, Okay, the Lion of Judah, and also the Lamb worthy to be slain. Okay, Jesus, what makes him such an incredible man, he is Lion and he is Lamb. It's not one or the other, it is it's both. And in my mind, that's what makes a man a man, or a man a good man. It's embodying those elements of Jesus. It's the Lion and the Lamb. Now, if you think about it, if you're all Lion, okay, you're a jerk. Okay, you're a bully, you're arrogant, you're the macho man. Okay, that's toxic masculinity. I don't believe all masculinity is toxic, but if you're pure lion, I think that is toxic masculinity. But if you look over at sheep, if you're all, all lamb, you're weak. Okay, you're passive, you're soft. You know, I don't think that's ideal either, but it's that infusion of both that makes a man a good man. So if you look at Jesus, we see the elements of his lion um, you know, when he takes on the Pharisees, okay, when he's calming the storms or casting out demons, uh, we see his strength. I love that about Jesus. But we don't just see his strength. We also see his compassion. We see that lamb in the way he loves people, you know, he'd heal people, serve people. I think about how he treated the woman caught in the act of adultery. You know, when the children would come to him, we see the elements of lion and lamb. And that is what I want for me, that's what I want for my son. Um, 
I love it when my wife, my wife Kathleen, when she will affirm those qualities in me, when she recognizes the lion and she will affirm that, or she recognizes the lamb and will affirm that. I feel like a man when she does that. So some of you, you've heard me talk about this before, the lion and the lamb. Um, you know, I spoke at a men's retreat at Washington Family Ranch a couple years ago, and that was my whole big thing was lion and lamb. But as I told you, this has been a journey and a process and exploration on what it means. And I was trying, like, I needed something more concise. I wanted to create something that I could really live with, live by, you know, that could be my mantra for how I wanted to live. And this summer, I think God, God gave it to me. And so here's what I've come up with. And this is what I, what I want to take us this morning. When I think in terms of the lion and the lamb, living in such a way, what I think about is I think about living lion-hearted. That is who I want to be. I want to be a lion-hearted man. And I've defined that. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I want you to know, um, so my son and his friends were the guinea pigs in this. And some of them are here this morning. There's a Bible study that I lead at, at Westland High School uh, through Young Life. And I have walked them through what you're about to hear, um, this, def- this definition and how I have, you know, fused this idea of, of lion and lamb. And... This is how I define it, okay? Lionhearted means living with a spirit-filled masculinity marked by love and service, courage and humility. There's a postcard on your, your table. You know, that, the definition is right there. I encourage you to take that with you. Put it somewhere, all right? If that would serve as a, as a good reminder. But here are a few things about that definition. First of all, to me, that is... Jesus. When I think about that definition, I mean, he is the ultimate man. Clearly, he was spirit-filled, marked by love and service, courage and humility. And anyone can be lion-hearted, okay? It's not just the man that grows the epic beard, okay? It's not the man that could bench press 200 pounds or knows the difference between a 20-gauge shotgun or a 30-06, okay? Not that kind of masculinity. A boy can live out this, okay? A man can live this out. No matter how old you are, you can live this out. But this is who you are, okay? As an athlete, as a student, as a husband, as a father, okay? As an employee, as an employer, you live lion-hearted, you know, living out in this such a way. And I share this with someone's like, well, Mike, you didn't say anything about leadership in this. I'm like, no, this is who you are as a leader, okay, as a husband or father, okay? You're, you're living in such a way, you're living lion-hearted, all right? So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to, there's eight key words, okay? There's eight words in this, and they're not there's not any throwaway words, but there's eight words I want to help define and examine and look at, so maybe this will become even more, more clear to you, all right? So the very first word is living, all right? Living, I honestly believe if, if you have breath in your lungs, you are here for a purpose. Your life has incredible meaning and significance and purpose. You are on a mission, and I don't know where it happens, but so often in our lives, you know, we, we lose some of that drive, we lose some of that ambition, and we just start to coast. And I have recognized there's been a season in my life where I have just been coasting. And if I'm coasting, I'm not, I'm not being the best man I could be for my family or the best pastor I can be or the best swim coach I can be. I don't want to coach. I don't want to just go through the motions. Um, my mom passed away from cancer two years ago. My mom loved the Lord, um, and 
I can remember spending, it was two weeks with her in the hospital, the most brutal time of my life, those two weeks with her in the hospital. But she loved the Lord, and she was ready to go. She wanted to be with her Savior. She wanted to be with her husband, my dad, who had passed away 10 years prior to that. And every morning, she would wake up and think, I'm still here. Like, God has not taken me yet. She was ready to go. But she had breath in her lungs. There was a purpose why she was still there. And I think that speaks to this verse. This is the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1. And he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Until the Lord takes us, I really believe there's fruitful labor for, for all of us. We have meaning and purpose. By far, it will be better to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus, but we're not there yet. Okay, we are here and we are living, and that means God has a plan for us. And this is what Jesus says. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And here's the deal. We do not know when that life will be taken. I am not a Lakers fan. I'm not a basketball fan. I'm not a Kobe fan. But this shook me way beyond what I ever would have expected it to shake me. Maybe because he had passed away, he died in that helicopter crash with his daughter. Maybe because he's only 41 years old, his whole life ahead of him. I don't know. But I know he's lived a life that a lot of people would love to live. I mean, NBA you know, championships, you know, uh, gold medals in the Olympics. He won an Oscar. I mean, he'd achieved a lot in his lifetime, and it is gone. All right? That shook me. And I know, I've talked to some of you, so I know it shook you as well. Um, we don't know how long we're going to be here, but I do believe we make the most of the time that we have. And here's one of my, my favorite quotes from Marcus Aurelius in Gladiator. What we do in life, it echoes in eternity. And I believe that. How we live now, it matters. Okay? So that was the first word, living. Okay? The next part of this is with a spirit-filled masculinity. And that is key. It must be spirit-filled. To love well, to serve well, to lead well, we must be spirit-led. And I recognize I need more of the Holy Spirit in my life. All right, here's what Jesus says in John. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, a champion, to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. All right, the Holy Spirit lives in us. You know, and depending on the translation of what you look at, you know, he's, he's seen as the helper, the advocate, the champion, the guide. I want more of the Holy Spirit in my life. Um, and we don't, we don't live it alone. All right, we have a guide. We have someone moving far greater than us, moving and working in our lives. Now, I'm going to geek out for a minute. For a 20-year period, I collected comic books, all right? And I probably, to this day, would still be collecting comic books, except I ran out of money. So Kathleen said the first thing that goes is the comic books. From 1988 to 2008, I collected comic books. And for the most part, it was Batman and Batman-related titles. 
but I did love Spider-Man. And one of my favorite Spider-Man comics was The Amazing Spider-Man 328. All right? And I know you can't see this perfectly, but believe it or not, this is going to tie into the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Spider-Man is fighting the Hulk. All right? Now, I'm not going to get into the nuances of why the Hulk is gray and not green. We don't have time for that. But Spider-Man punches the Hulk so hard that he sends him to outer space. Okay, what I love about comics is the realism, okay? So the Hulk, he's, he's in orbit holding his breath, thinking, okay, this is how I'm going to die. And then Spider-Man flies into outer space to rescue the Hulk. All right, now, if you know anything about Spider-Man, you're like, wait, 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 wait. He's not that strong. He can't fly. What is up? Okay, he had some power, all right? It's called the cosmic power that lived inside of him. Not for the whole time, but for a brief period of time where he did some pretty amazing things. He could control his webs and form them in his mind if he wanted to. But there's that cosmic power that gave Superman some unbelievable ability. And because I'm a geek, I tie that into the Holy Spirit. And I think, okay, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Now, maybe we can't punch someone in outer space, but we can do amazing things, incredible things, when we are spirit-led, when we recognize there's something greater in us that is moving and working than a part, well, that's just what's in me. All right, and this is, this is my other favorite verse on the Holy Spirit, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So here's our choice. Well, here's my choice. I can either be Mike-led or I can be spirit-led, okay? When I am Mike-led, that's not good. It's not good for anybody, all right? I, I am selfish. I am petty. I am overly competitive, all right? When I am Mike-led, it's, it's not good. You do not want the Mike-led pastor right now. You want the spirit-led pastor. But when I'm spirit-led, there's power, there's truth, okay? There's self-discipline. There's love, I'm a better man when I allow the Spirit to work in my life. You know, and before this talk, you know, as I'm in preparation, my prayer is, God, by your Spirit, move in me. I want to be Spirit-led, all right? I have to be Spirit-led, I think, to be the best man that I can be, all right? So living with a Spirit-filled masculinity marked by love and service, courage, and humility. So 10 years ago, if I was to come up with this, I don't think I would have included the word masculinity, I think that this might have been a, a, a given, like, well, I'm a man, I'm going to live this way. But again, I think it's a confusing time or a difficult time or challenging time to be a man. And there's a lot of confusion over this word in particular. Um, but here's how the dictionary defines it. More, uh, masculinity is, is qualities or attributes regarded as characteristics of men. Synonyms are manliness, maleness, vigor, strength, ruggedness, toughness. Antonyms, femininity. Um, but if you talk about masculinity right now, all right, it, it, it's almost the next thing is, oh, well, then you don't like women, all right, which is ridiculous, okay? You can be very pro-male, pro-man, and love women, all right? Maybe I am old school, but, like, I want my men to be masculine, all right? My, my, I want the women in my life to be feminine, and that is how God made us. But it's crazy how controversial that is becoming. All right, so if you go back to Genesis to the very beginning, this is what God says. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. All right? Men, women, all, everyone, we all have infinite worth and value because we are created by our loving Heavenly Father. Um, you know, it's interesting, you know, if you, if you do any research, if you read about, you know, what, what does it mean to be a real man? So much of what you read has to do with how you relate to women. And this as an element, of course, of truth in that. Like, as a man, I want to treat women with love and respect and kindness. But it's so much broader. It's so much bigger. That's only one part. But our culture kind of fine-tunes it in that. And if you look in some of the images I didn't show, it says a real man doesn't, doesn't hit his woman. And I'm like... Do we need someone really to tell us that? I, mean, I think that's obvious, right? Well, unfortunately, to a lot of people, it is not. I have a wonderful wife. I've got a fantastic daughter, 19 years old, a freshman in college. I am pro-Kathleen. I am pro-Maddie. They are strong women. They are wonderful leaders. I am all for them, okay? Just like I need to say that so everyone knows we're on the same page. So what does it look like to be a man, to be masculine. And I'm going to share one of my favorite verses. This is 1 Corinthians 16, 13. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. First of all, do you see like there's the elements of the lion and lamb even in that verse, the idea of being, you know, watchful, standing firm, you know, in the faith and acting like a man, like I feel the lion in that, but also the idea of everything that we do is to be done in love. Um, lion and the lamb comes together in this verse, which I really do love. Um, a couple of years ago, I did a survey. I asked hundreds of women and hundreds of men, like, what does it mean to be a man? If, if this verse, if, if Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying, act like men, well, clearly that is a good thing, all right? It is a good thing. Thing. And so I asked, like, how would you define that? What does that look like? So it's fascinating, and I've shared this before with, with the group of you, how similar, you know, what the women have said and what the men have said. I'm glad they're so similar. The women's responses, acting like a man means leading, protecting, loving, having integrity, providing, being responsible, living courageously. Those are their top seven. All right, and the men, the top seven, Look, you'll see them. They're not always in the same order, but leading, loving, living courageously, protecting, providing, being strong, and then remaining constant and steady. Those, those, both those lists are fantastic. And you can kind of hold those things up and think, well, how am I doing? How am I living as a man? Would people use those words to describe how I'm living? Now, there's one word that's not on there, and I'm glad it's not on there. The word is nice. Guys, we are not called to be nice, all right? I think there's a, there's a whole host of women out there. That's what they, they're looking for in men. They just want men to be nice, all right? Jesus was not nice. I wouldn't use that word to describe Jesus. He was kind. He was loving. He was gentle. But he wasn't nice, okay? Um, I want you to consider this quote. Nice says nothing of spine, of edge, of valor, and thus it can say little of righteousness or purpose. Nice requires no courage, no conviction, and no willingness to make enemies with the wicked. You know, it's okay to have enemies. Um, I don't go out seeking enemies, but it's okay to have enemies. Jesus certainly had 
enemies. Okay, Jesus was not crucified for being a nice guy. All right, he was crucified for being bold and, and courageous and righteous. And the Pharisees killed him for it. Um, so I don't believe in niceness, right? But I do believe in kindness. I believe in, in gentleness. I love this quote. A lion, not a kitten, can exhibit gentleness because he is first strong, all right? And I think masculinity, I think, I, I think it's power, it's under control, it's strength that's being kept in check. I mean, we're called to be gentle. Um, I think a lot in terms of pictures. And here's an image that I have, I've had in my mind for a really long time. All right, so of a, of a horse, okay? I think of a masculinity is like a horse. Like it wants to run wild. It is strong and it is fast. It has a strength and the ability to do that. You know, a horse is, a, is an incredible force, but it's got to be reined in, right? I picture the cowboy in it. That's the Holy Spirit kind of keeping my masculinity in check. I don't want to run wild, all right? I want to run as God calls me to, all right, in strength and courage and, and passion, but I, want, I don't want it to go crazy. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to stampede people. There has to be range. There has to be something holding us back. And for men who believe in the Lord Jesus, it's, it's going to be the Holy Spirit, all right, keeping that power in check. So years ago, okay, you know, I grew up in Texas, and it wasn't long um, after I got my driver's license. I got pulled over by a uh, Texas state trooper, and I deserve to be pulled over, okay? This is embarrassing to admit, but, well, this part isn't, but I was listening to a book on tape. It was Call of the Wild by Jack London. I was so engrossed in the story, I had no idea I was going 80 in a 55, not paying attention. That part's the embarrassing part. I see the, the red and white, you know, the flashing lights. I get pulled over. And a, a Texas State Trooper, he is an intimidating force, all right? They, all, they wear cowboy hats, all right? They had the Ray-Bans on. They got the gun holstered by their side. And I got pulled up. The guy was in um, this really wicked cool black Mustang. So when they come up, yeah, it's intimidating. But here's something I think is fascinating, all right? The Texas State Trooper General Manual, Chapter 5, says this. A state trooper shall be courteous to the public and to other employees. A state trooper shall be tactful in the performance of his duties, shall control behavior, and shall exercise the utmost patience and discretion. A state trooper shall not engage in argumentative discussions, even in the face of extreme provocation. Okay? That is strength and power and authority being kept in check. All right, so these are the words, they, they're described as being courteous, tactful, they control their behavior, they're patient, they exercise discretion, and, and this is how I paraphrase it, he keeps his cool even under extreme pressure, okay? All right, masculinity, power kept in check. Now, this is one of my favorite quotes, and my son Mason, and actually the Bible, they've heard me quote this over and over and over again, because I think it is so true and really speaks to me on who I want to be as a man. Treat everyone as a gentleman, not because they are, but because you are. All right? That is a man who knows who he is, how he wants to live, how he wants to respond. All right? He is proactive, not reactive. All right? Masculinity kept in check. All right? Humble, wise, loving leadership. 
Um, living with a spirit-filled masculinity marked by love and service, courage and humility. Okay, the word marked. Okay, that's not a throwaway word, all right? When I think about marked, what I'm thinking of is, um, is you know, you're identified by. Okay, these are the things, these next words are how, as a, as a lion-hearted man, I want to be identified as. So, marked. Here's what I think of when I think of the word marked. Okay, this gentleman here, this is my nephew. His name is Will and he was a Navy SEAL. And this is this Navy SEAL graduation that happened a year ago in September. It was one of the coolest things I have ever been a part of. And I spent hours with him hearing about his training, hearing about Hell Week, what it, what it, meant, what it looked like to go through Bud's training. It was epic. I mean, I could tell you story after story after story. We just don't have the time. But one thing that was so interesting is I noticed on both his forearms right here, he had these scars. Um, and this is why he had these scars, is because as a Navy SEAL during Hell Week in particular, you're walking around with these logs for hours and hours on end, okay? You're running in the sand with them, in the beach with them. They're sandy and they're rough. And if you hold it long enough, it's going to cut you. I mean, he said your arms are just bleeding profusely, and you get these scars. And he goes, Mike, if you ever meet someone and they say that they're a Navy SEAL and you don't see these scars... I'd really question whether or not they're actually Navy SEALs, okay? Because they are marked by that experience. And that's what I was looking for. For the next couple of days as I'm interacting with his buddies and with some older SEALs, I was looking, and every single one of them had those scars, okay? They were marked by the experience, okay? I want us to be marked in a little bit of a different way, okay? I want us to be marked by these four things, all right? And these are the words I want to look at to close this out. All right, the first one is love, marked by love, okay? In the Greek, there's multiple words for love. There's romantic love, there's friendship love, but this is the ultimate love. The ultimate love is agape love, all right? It is the highest form of love. It is self-sacrificing, it is unconditional, and this is how God loves us, with an agape love. It is in Words and it is action. It is uh, strong love. All right, it, it takes courage to live in such a way. All right, and here's what Jesus says. You know, related to that definition, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. Okay, that's powerful love. That's what motivated Jesus. You know, that's why Jesus laid down his life for us. And to pay the penalty for our sins, that is a strong, strong love. And that, this verse will forever be, in my mind, will be linked to this particular story. Um, I read this in a People magazine article back in 2006. And it is a powerful example of an agape love. I just want to read this to you, okay? To celebrate the end of their first week as ninth graders at William R. Boone High School in Orlando, Florida... Edna Wilkes and her friend Amanda uh, Valence and some other students decided to go for a moonlit dip in Little Lake Conway near Edna's house. It's very safe, says Edna, then 15, and we're all good swimmers. But as they splashed in the water the night of August 18th, 2001, something grabbed Edna's left arm. At first I thought it was someone playing around, she says, and then I saw the alligator's head. I didn't even have time to scream. It just pulled me under. He started spinning me over and over, and I heard something crack in my body. 
I'm thinking, I'm going to die like this. For an instant, the gator loosened its grip, and Edna burst to the surface and cried for help. And this would terrify me if I was her. I saw everyone swimming away, she says. All the boys were headed for shore. I screamed, come back, don't leave me. Can you imagine if that was you? That is terrifying. Everyone did, except for her best friend, Amanda, who churned towards her on a boogie board. For a second, I was like, I got to get out of here, says Amanda. Then I thought, no, I can't leave my best friend out here to die. When she reached Edna, she saw the girl's arm was bleeding badly. Then just a few feet away, the gator surfaced and seemed to glare at her. Pushing Edna on the boogie board, Amanda dug into the water with her powerful breaststroke and swam 50 yards to shore with the alligator swimming behind them. Isn't that crazy? That was powerful. And there's more. There's one other part that I'll look at. It was an 11-foot alligator uh, that was found and then shot. Um, And then Edna's mom says, Edna would not be alive today if it wasn't for Amanda. As Edna, she always said that her biggest fear was being attacked by a shark or an alligator, and yet she swam towards me. And Amanda, she says, I've read about people with, who, who were courageous, and I always hoped I could be like them, she says. People come up to me at school and say, gosh, you're the gator girl, and I'm pretty proud of that. That is a lion-hearted love. That is a bold, self-sacrificing love. And that, I've read this so many times, but I mean, it moves me to tears. I think about it. I collect stories like this, because I think we all like to think that we could be that hero, but until we're in it, I don't know, we don't know, you know, if we ever would, how we'd respond. Um, but that is a lion-hearted love. But also, there's a gentle love. You know, when I think of a gentle love, you know, I, I picture, a, you know, a dad, you know, holding a newborn baby, you know, that loves that precious little life. I mean, that's, that's love. That's a lamb love, I think. Um, you know, if I could go back to my mom, you know, when she was in the hospital, again, it was such a brutal time for me and my sister. Um, you know, my mom wanted me to rub her feet. I have never rubbed my mom's feet in my entire life. I didn't want to rub my mom's feet, but she was in so much pain. And that little pleasure was going to calm her and just help her relax. And I remember thinking, I don't want to do that, all right? I hate to admit that, but I didn't want to do that. All right, but I remember time and again just massaging and rubbing my mom's feet with lotion. And I knew once I started, my, I was like, you're not going to stop until she says that was enough, all right? So I might be there for an hour, but I wasn't going to stop. And I was like, all right. That was a moment where I'm like, God, you're going to have to love through me. Give me that. Help me to be that kind of loving, gentle, courageous towards my mom. And he, he answered that prayer. And I look back on that and think, gosh, had I not done that, oh, my gosh, what kind of man would I have been? Here's a quote I like. Insecure men flex and threaten. Men who are secure in the strength of the Lord are not only willing but eager to let their gentle, gentleness be known to all. You know, I think about my dad. My dad was, he was a pretty rough guy. You know, he's a Texas cowboy kind of guy. Had the twang and everything. Um, And he could be loud and kind of mean-spirited at different times. And I'm not going to tell you stories about that. But, you know, it's not what I want to be towards my own son. But also there's a tenderness that he had. It was in such stark contrast to that other side of him. And I knew that he loved me. And, And he would 
tell me he loved me. He would wrap me up in his arms, you know. And I, as a kid, I loved it when he would go a day or two without shaving. And I would feel his, his, his whiskers, you know, on my cheek. And I remember thinking, this is what a man feels like. And I felt so secure in that embrace and feeling his whiskers on my cheek. And, um, and, I, and I know I've shared this with some of you guys before, but, you know, one of the most powerful moments in my life was holding my dad as he died. And uh, he died in a wheelchair. He died of cancer. He was in hospice care at our home. And uh, you know, my mom said, okay, we are not going to leave him like this. We knew family was going to come to see him. So my mom and I picked him up, and we put him in bed, and I remember, you know, covering him up. I closed his eyes, and the last thing I did was I hugged him, and I just wanted to feel that, I wanted to feel that stubble on my cheek, and it was love. It was a gentle love, all right? That's what I want to remember about my dad, all right? There's a gentleness of that. Living with a spirit-filled masculinity marked by love and service. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word service. For the longest time, I had such a narrow view of what that word meant. And I always thought about it had to be manual labor. If you're going to serve someone, it was manual labor. And I would always think about raking leaves. I don't know why that came to mind, but that's what I pictured, raking leaves. Um, the idea of service kind of got blown up for me when I was a senior in college. And I started working at the Four Seasons Hotel as a waiter. Um, it is a fan, four season, I mean, it is an amazing place. And Austin's a pretty chill city, but like from fine dining, it was the Four Seasons. And we were instructed, like, you serve, you do whatever, all right, that patron asked you to do. And you do it with a smile on your face, like service, 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 be as creative as possible. So I remember one time someone asked me at the table, like, hey, you know what, I, I want to show my wife some pictures, but I left them in the glove box of my car. Would you mind getting those for me? Absolutely. All right, he gave me his keys. I ran out of the parking lot, and I got the pictures. Like, could you imagine if you asked your waiter at Applebee's to go get something out of your car? There's no way. I remember a guy, he's like, hey, hey, I need you to go get me the biggest piece of ice that you can find. I'm like, absolutely, yes, sir. So I go into the kitchen, I'm digging through the ice machine, and I find, like, down, like, this block that had frozen together. It probably been there for 30 years, and I put it on a linen, uh, linen napkin and on a plate, and I just go and I present it to him at his table, I didn't know what he was going to do with it. Well, he got that block of ice, and he just started rubbing it up and down his date's leg. I was like, oh, okay. He left me a really big tip, all right? <laughs> Service, all right? Just be creative. You can do it. Whatever we serve in our words, we serve in our actions. I have more stories like that. It got a little weird at times, but, you know, it was serving, and it was, it was fun. And we're called as followers of Jesus to make our lives, you know, about others. And that was clearly... Jesus model, all right? I love this. This is Jesus in Mark 10. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, I think in our culture so often we think only the weak serve. Like we expect the weak to serve others. But really when you think about it, we serve out of a position of authority. We serve out of a position of power. You know, we are sons of the most high God. 
Um, we are called to serve, and we, we have strength and authority and power in that. And Jesus clearly had that authority and power, but he would humble himself time and time again to love and serve others. Um, and that's why I love this quote from MLK. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Okay? I told you about the Navy SEAL graduation. Okay? This was in the, in the program that they had. This is the Navy SEAL's ethos. It says, in times of war or uncertainty, there's a special breed of warrior ready to answer our nation's call, a common man with an uncommon desire to succeed. Forged by adversity, he stands alongside America's finest special operations forces to serve his country, the American people, and protect their way of life. I am that man. I love that. These are the baddest dudes on the planet, and they see their role as one of service. He's serving the American people. I, I think there's so much power in that. It's not soft. It's not wimpy. It's not passive to serve. It takes strength. It takes humility to serve and to do it well, all right? To protect and to serve. You know, you know, the origin of this, I mean, we see this in law enforcement agencies all across the country, but it started out in the LAPD in, in the 1950s. But I love that. Again, strength. I mean, these guys carry guns. They're called to protect and to serve, all right? I love that, all right? That, that's strong in their, in their service. Um, I want you to consider two verses. This is what Paul says. He says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's why we're here, all right? To do good works, to serve, to make life better for others, to help redeem a broken world. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. All right? So we are called to serve in big ways, in little ways, all right? Access is huge. Um, masculinity, you know, manifesting itself in love, all right? So here we are. Here's our verse, or our, the definition. Living with a spirit-filled masculinity marked by love and service. All right, we have two more words. Courage and humility. Courage. I love this quote. It's not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. And then this one from Nelson Mandela. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. I love that. It's not the absence of fear. I, Brave men fear, they feel the fear, but they act anyway. And honestly, you know what I think of? I think about the father and son camp that we do, you know, and I think about that climbing wall, you know, out at uh, the, uh, Camp Collins. I mean, I think 40, 50 feet tall. Now, there's some kids, they have no problem climbing to the top of that thing. They'll just go, no problem. They're fearless, okay? I don't look at them and think, oh, they were really courageous, I don't think they're courageous. I mean, they're maybe they're really good athletes, really strong, but there wasn't any fear involved in that. But the kids that, that move me the most are the ones that could barely get off the ground, all right? They get three or four steps up there, and they're like, I don't think I can go any farther. And the dad's like, hey, buddy, you can do it. It's a little bit further. It's a little bit further. They go up maybe 10 feet, all right? And they're scared, 
but they do it anyway. All right, that's courage to me. I love it. All right, we celebrate that, that 10 foot. It's not about making it to the top. It's celebrating what you, what you try. And I absolutely love this verse because I need this kind of reminder. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I need that reminder. I live in fear way more often than I care to admit, all right? Living in fear, your life is so small when you live in fear. You're afraid to take risks. And there's a season where it was a fear of failure um, that I had that, that kept me from experiencing, I think, so many of the blessings that God had in store with me in life. And I, and I just missed it. Um, so I need reminders like this, you know, that I'm not alone. So often, I, I did it this morning before I walked up on this stage. This is what I think. I'm like, all right, Jesus, it's me and you. All right. Some of you guys have seen me do my VBS thing. You know, I'm, I'm behind a curtain over here and like I'm about to run out and do this skit for the kids. I am scared to death. I'm sitting back there like sweats on my forehead and I'm thinking, all right, Jesus, it's me and you. All right. When I get up on a starting block to swim, you know, I still love to swim. I still compete. The starting block, that's a pretty lonely, isolated place to be. All eyes are on you. And I think, all right, Jesus, it's me and you. All right, I need that in constant encouragement and that reminder. I do not want to suffer from a fear of failure. All right, we're going to play a quick little game. All right, I want you to shout out loud. We're going to talk about good fear and bad fear. I have a series of slides I'm going to show you. Good fear and bad fear. We, there's a certain element of fear we need because it keeps us from dying. All right, I'm not talking about that kind of fear. So good fear or bad fear. You're about to go for a swim. You look out in the water, you jump in, and you see this. All right, it keeps you out of the water. Is that good fear or bad fear? That's a good fear. We need that kind of fear, all right? You're contemplating playing Frogger with yourself. You're going to try to run across seven lanes of traffic without getting hit by a car, but then you have second thoughts about it, all right? Is that good fear or bad fear? Good fear, all right? You don't need to get hit by a car. That's good fear. You have a conversation with a friend, all right? You're talking about girls, sports, movies, whatever. But you feel in your heart like, hey, my buddy doesn't know the Lord, all right? I want to share my faith with him. I want to invite him to church. But you're hesitant, all right? Because you don't know what he's thinking, so you don't. Is that a good fear or a bad fear? That's a bad fear, all right? It doesn't matter how old you are, it's the same thing, all right? That's a bad fear. So often we allow the bad fear to get into our lives and prevent us from doing the things we are called to do. Um, my son Mason has heard me say this a million times, all right? And I teach young people this all the time, all right? Many of you guys have heard me share this. When we are raising our kids, we raise them with what we call the go for it attitude. And we define it like this. We tell our kids, I mean, since they were tiny, you do not have to win. You do not have to be the best. We just want you to try. And we're going to celebrate the try, all right? And that takes courage, all right? The go for it attitude. I have to remind myself about that all the time. All right, I'm going to close this section out with this quote. You probably can't read that. Well, maybe you can't. I'll read this out loud. This is hanging in my office. I need this reminder because I don't want to pull my punches. I realize too often in life I pull my punches like, ugh, I don't, I, is, I don't want to offend. All right, I, want, I don't want to push too hard. And if it's spirit-led to pull my punches, that's one thing. But if I'm offering out a fear, it's not, it's not a good thing. This is a quote from um, Theodore Roosevelt. It's called The Man in the Arena. And it says this, It is not the critic who counts, 
Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or whether the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does not actually strive to do the deeds? But who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I don't know about you, but I do not want to live as a timid man. Okay, so here's our definition, our last word. We have living with a spirit-filled masculinity marked by love and service, courage and humility, all right? Humility, it is the lost art in a world of self-promotion. Um, I love this verse. This is from Psalm 8. It says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. I love that. I like feeling really small. I like seeing God as just so big and magnificent. I like feeling small. It helps keep me in my place. All right, I love a starry night. All right, where you can see the Milky Way, you see, you see the shooting stars. And I just feel like I'm just a little bitty speck, okay, flying through outer space. All right, I like that feeling. I like being at the beach, all right, on the coast where there's a crazy winter storm and the waves are rocking. I love that. Um, I like feeling small, all right? I just read Job recently, um, the last couple chapters of Job. I love it when, uh, when God is, is calling Job out. Like, look, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Like, it, you see how big God is, how small I am. And when I think about that, I'm like, what do I have to be arrogant about? What, do I, what, what pride should I have? I should be, as Christians, we should be the most humble men on the planet. Um, okay, but why is it so important to be humble? This verse scares me. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Like the idea, I do not want to live my life opposed to God. I, I, that's a scary thought to me. I, I want to receive his favor. All right? Some translations say, you know, you receive his grace. God opposes the proud, but shows grace to the humble. I had a friend, a couple, this is years ago. Right? He was a good friend. Um, his words cut me, but I think I needed to hear it. He said, Mike, your confidence borders on cocky. That was years. I still hold on to that. I still think about it. I I do not want to be cocky, but I want to be confident. There's nothing wrong with being humble and then still being confident. You know, I want to be bold. Um, You know, I want to. I want to be strong, Um, but I want that those 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 actions, those feelings, to be rooted in Christ, and I want those things to be spirit led. So when you look at Jesus, Jesus is the epitome of humility. But he was so strong, so courageous, um, but he models humility in that. Again, in a place of strength, he was so humble. So that's our model. That's who we're called, again, to be like. And I, you know, I hate to admit it, but there's a time when I, couldn't, I didn't appreciate Jesus when I was younger. I thought he was soft. 
I thought he was just this do-gooder that did a couple good things and then he died. All right, I, I, I hate admitting that. But when you read the scriptures, you see who Jesus is with such great clarity. All right, his courage, his boldness, his strength, his power, his authority, and his humility. All right, I love this verse. This is Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. All right? That's the way I want to walk, as a lion-hearted man. Um, we lose out when we're prideful. We're in that place of arrogance. We lose out. Consider this quote from Tim Keller. Pride makes sympathy nearly impossible. Pride keeps us from really noticing people, from putting ourselves in their shoes, from recognizing when they are hurting or unhappy. It keeps us absorbed with our own agenda and our needs. All right, here's another quote. Humility is not hiding what you can do or hating who you are. It's a joy of thinking about yourself less and about Jesus more. And I'll, I'll close uh, with this one, this last quote in this section. It's also from Gavin Ortland. If we would like to grow in humility, the place to start is at the cross. Christ's humiliation is the death of all ego and swagger. There's no room for pride before the crucified Savior. And his exaltation gives us greater glory to live for than, any, than, than our own. Heaven is roaring with his praise. And one day, every knee will bow before him. What a waste to spend our talents on any lesser cause. Okay? All right, guys, that's my definition. All right, that is who I want to be as a man. This is how I want to live. I want to be lion-hearted. I want to be that infusion of lion and lamb. I want to be marked by love and service, courage and humility. And I'm a better man for it. I'm a better pastor, a better coach, a better husband, a better father. And here's how I want to close our time out. Well, just a few next steps, all right? First of all, for all of us, all right? First, if this spoke to you, and I hope it did, Memorize it. Okay, take this, take that card, put it somewhere, look at it, memorize it, and live in such a way. Or maybe this inspired your own thoughts. Maybe you have your own definition what it means to be a man or to be live lion-hearted. Whatever. Have a vision for your life and start your day with it. All right. I, now I'm thinking like I want to start my day the lion-hearted way. I want to spend time in God's word. I want to see more clearly who Jesus is. And I want to pray through this to make sure I'm living in such a way and keep myself in check throughout the day. You know, am I marked by love and service, courage and humility? I certainly hope so. Mike, are you, are you being spirit-led? I certainly hope so. All right, are you living as a man? I surely hope so. So for all of us here, you know, take this and uh, start your day with it. Um, also, I would encourage you to spend time reading through the book of Mark. You know, it's the shortest of the Gospels. And I did this with my guys, my Young Life guys. They're juniors in, in high school. We looked at the, at the book of Mark, and we did it looking for those elements of the lion, all right, the elements of the lamb, you know, and just seeing who Jesus was as a man, how he treated people, how he loved people, how he served people. You know, it's a, it's a playbook for how we should live. Spend time in the book of Mark, all right? Now, for dads and sons who are here together, all right, dads, raise your hand if your son is with you right now. Fantastic. That is awesome. You know, and this is something that for my own son, too, that we're doing. Like, 
I want you guys to create a, a language around this. You know, talk about what it looks to live lionhearted. Ask each other, are you living in such a way? I think more and more dads, like you need to open up, dads, your world to your sons. Like, what does it look like for you to be at work? Sons, you need to open up your world to your dad, what it looks like, you know, um, to be a student, right? to be an athlete or whatever it is. Share those stories. Share where you're killing it as a man. Share where you're blowing it as a man, where you need encouragement as a man, right, and praying for one another. I think that's really, really important. So one of the reasons I was, I just, I want as many middle school and high school students here as possible because I want you guys to have a language that you could use in your home around these things, focused and centered on these things. And also, just as a quick aside for you middle schoolers and high schoolers, I honestly believe that living this way, living lion-hearted, being marked by those four virtues, that's what women are looking for, all right? If you want a girlfriend, if you want a wife, live in such a way. Women will flock to you, all right? Because they're not seeing this in our culture anymore. It's a lost art. But to live in such a way, I think that's what most women are looking for, okay? So for dads with younger sons, I know some of you guys came, but you got younger kids at home. You know, I hope you'll share this with them, but depending on their age, it might need to be in bite-sized chunks or pieces, you know, Pick it apart, share here and there. Clearly, you know, a, a, a seven-year-old would not be able to sit through me talk for an hour. But take this, share it with it, create a language and a dialogue in your home around, around these things. Um, and uh, I'm going to leave you with this quote. This one either encourage you or scare you. Lately, all of my friends are worried that they're turning into their fathers. I'm worried that I'm not. All right? So, dads, think about that. Like, would you be happy if your son turned out just like you, all right? And also for dads with older sons, all right? I don't want to leave you guys out. Again, if they're not here, maybe they live on the other side of the country. If you found any value in this, all right, this encouraged you in any way, make a point to talk about it. I know it's so easy just to, you, you, just, you talk about work or politics, sports, family stuff, but to go a little bit deeper all right, to talk about these things that really mark us as men and encourage each other, you know, and to live in such a way, okay? So that's what I got for you, all right? And by no means am I sharing this as one who has mastered it, who lives out these four virtues perfectly, you know, who is always spirit-led, but this is what I aspire to, um, and this is how I want to be, this is how I want to live. And it's going to morph and change. I'm going to grow in it. Um, and again, if this speaks to you, I hope you will do the same. I would love for us to have a lion-hearted language here at the church among our men, all right, if it is something that would encourage you, all right?